The following was edited by Pop Pop Audio Visual. For more information on Pop Pop Audio Visual, please visit our website, poppopav.ca. Hey there, perfectly average humans, and welcome to our podcast. We're out to prove that everyone, regardless of their perceived averageness, possesses a unique story, invaluable lessons, and incredible experiences that deserve to be shared with the world. I'm Jess T. I'm Donnie. (laughs) And you've stumbled upon... Perfectly average people. (laughs) So we've been sharing a little bit of the anecdotal feedback, some of the stuff that we've been hearing from friends and family with each other over the past few weeks from our first episode. But I got some more feedback this week, just the past few days, actually. And I really wanted to share it with you live. Is it good? It's really good. I mean, full disclosure, we're getting feedback from friends and family and like people who love us. So, you know, I don't think they're going to be terribly harsh. (laughs) But I wanted to share this one because this really just nailed it on the head for me. This is exactly what we're here to do. So Tracy wrote, I listened to PAP today, LOL. Friggin loved it. This is what the world needs. I'm scrolling through podcasts lately looking for something light and normal. I don't need any more self-improvement. I don't want to talk about stress and anxiety. I want something that makes me feel like I am enough. I love that feedback. It was so perfect. Perfectly average. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for that. That's cool. You got good friends. I do. And you know, that was the theme of of our first episode too, was friendship. I also have to share this one with you, Don, because this came from James and this was specific to you. He said, Don is hilarious. I totally related to his commentary about mom's gone wild. Does he happen to know my wife? (laughs) James, that's going to be an episode, James. We're going to do an episode. Oh, that is maybe a couple episodes. I think we're going to have some good stories out of that one. How about you? Is there anything else that you received the last few days? Anything that you want to share with me? You've got good friends because all my friends, my gosh, you sucked on. Why, why are you even on this? Why are you even doing this? You know? <laughs> One of the comments I got from a friend of mine was that they listened to a lot of podcasts and they said, you know, finally something that's not, quote, controversial and left wing or right wing or you're bringing out some stuff and to make people, you know, get angry. They loved it. We're hitting it on the head. Oh, I love that. We're going to a place where not a lot of people do this because everybody's so wanting to get views and looks. And the only way to do that is to be like the Jerry Springers of the podcast world or TikTok. And I just dated myself for those who are younger. Yeah. I was just going to say anybody who's younger, just, (laughs) just go to YouTube and type in Jerry Springer. Then you'll know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Frankly, I think it's easy to be controversial. Anyways. Okay. So we had a number of people who commented on our natural and easygoing banter that we have some natural chemistry and it seems very genuine and unforced and that specific feedback came from josephine ma who also just happens to be our guest today hi guys thanks for having me on this is so exciting (laughs) oh we're so happy you're our first official guest because i mean you're practically a pro at this yourself so it makes our job easier 
Hardly. Um, I happen to co-host a podcast, yes, but it's for a post-secondary institution and it's for a very kind of limited, smaller audience. So I'm excited to be able to be on a podcast where I can just get to be me. So very exciting. <laughs> but are you doing that thing from SNL where it's those girls that were talking really close to the microphone? Like, you know, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Okay. Okay. Definitely not. It involves the president of the institution. So more corporate, a little more buttoned down. I think that we could be a little freer tonight. So but that's what's exciting. Yeah, we, it's what we get. Our background was corporate yeah. too. And this is just for us. And this is just for you. Yeah, welcome. This is going to be cool. Tell us where you're calling in from, Joe. I am in snowy and very cold Edmonton. This has been my home since I was 17 years old. I basically moved out here from Grand Prairie where I grew up and uh, went to school here and basically have worked my entire like life career in and around the Edmonton area. So, And Dawn, you're close and I'm in Calgary. So we've all been experiencing a polar vortex across Alberta. Now, when this episode airs, it's hopefully going to be much warmer days. I saw a meme that said, if you ever said that you know, you'll do something when hell freezes over, tomorrow's your day. And I was like, <laughs> so That's good. Somebody I follow on Instagram, he said, weather warning, extreme cold in Alberta to Calgarians. Please don't drive if you have to. Just stay away from that. Edmontonians, please wear a jacket. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one as well, too. Already <laughs> hard. Arrival continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, and see, and, and who's sick this week? Me. Mm-hmm. Me. See, may- maybe there is something to that. I don't know. Oh, it was cold. <laughs> yeah, I went to start my car the other day. I put the key in the ignition and the car went, what? That's all yeah. I heard. It didn't even turn over. It's just, no. I mean, I just have to say, it's been shockingly cold. Like, the fact that they were warning us to turn off all of our lights the other oh, you evening got that, was a yeah. little bit scary oh yeah, yeah and with our microwaves that was what was the most appalling to me i'm like <laughs> who does that like, honestly, who does this? <laughs> See, that was the opposite. I was totally opposite. I'm going to turn everything on and make it warmer in this house. I turned every heater on. I had the fans going. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. yeah. No, we believe you. We know you complied because, yeah. you know, we're all good people here. Yeah, the internet <laughs> trolls are on there right now. <laughs> I did have to laugh, though. I'm going to get controversial. This is probably going to tick some people <laughs> off. But I but I have to say, I thought it was hilarious that they were telling all the Tesla drivers, like, maybe unplug your car. I was saying that to my husband as well. I'm like, what are all the Tesla drivers going to do no more? I guess nobody's working. <laughs> yeah. That, amongst other things, which I won't get into today. But yeah, because that is not why we're here. We're here, Josephine. We asked you to come on. You and I actually chatted about a few different things. Uh, you had some really cool, great experiences in your life. But as we started talking... You, again, you already referenced the fact that you grew up in Grand Prairie. And so we thought this would be a really fun opportunity to have you come in, share a little bit about your background and your upbringing and what it was like growing up as a minority in small town Alberta. Yeah, so my story really starts, I guess, with my parents who immigrated from Hong Kong in the 70s. And landed in Grand Prairie, Alberta, of all the places in the world, 450 kilometers north of Edmonton. You know, having some family around, I think was really appealing to my dad and to my mom. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. We were all born in Grand Prairie. Definitely, you know, it's not the same Grand Prairie today. The population was about 25,000, I think, at the time. We were one of very few Chinese families and actually really one of few minority families up north. And so because of that, I do feel like they 
experience that I had growing up was probably significantly different than most other Albertans growing up in their small towns. What did your parents do for work? Was that a draw for them as well? No, not really. Because as you know, like, and it continues today, there's always immigration problems where the schooling that you took isn't necessarily recognized in your new home country. And so that's kind of what ended up happening for my parents. Mm. Luckily for my mom, her English was really good. She went to an English school that was run by Catholic nuns. And so as a result, her English was quite good. And she found a job fairly early on working at the newspaper up in Grand Prairie, doing account billing for them. And she was on and off with them for nearly 30 years. And so that was kind of a really good job for her and provided a lot of stability For my dad, he wanted to go again. Working with his brother was kind of the easy, natural thing to do. At that time, my uncle had a restaurant and was working in the restaurant business. And so my dad went that route. My dad had a series of restaurants from the time that I was very young all the way until I was in actually in college. But we also, because those were not great paying jobs back in the day. So my parents actually worked a second job all the time. They were janitors in a local theater. We did that with them as kids from very early on got a really strong work ethic from my parents they were such the typical immigration story came here with not a lot of money really worked their way up saved for a great house raised their family and actually had four kids that all turned out to be professionals and you know we all went to post-secondary you know my sister has two degrees and you know like we're all working today and we're none of us have been in jail I mean that's a huge (laughs) Boon, right there, right? So yeah, it's really the typical like, you know, Canadian immigration story from that perspective. And that would have been a culture shock for your parents too, because we're talking Hong Kong, right? Yeah. And that would have been a big population to going to Grand Prairie. They must have just been in awe of obviously because of the land, number one, right? Just the vastness yes. of the land and owning their own house and stuff. That would have been just a beautiful dream, like things we don't think about. Right? Oh, I would Absolutely. love to talk to your parents too, like your mom's experience, even growing up uh, in an English speaking school with Catholic nuns in Hong Kong. Like I can imagine that was a different kind of experience that mm. she would have had too. Absolutely. And even like back then when she was going to school, it would have been like the, I guess, 60s. And for them, it going to school was, especially to this um, Catholic school, was a big sacrifice because it was significantly more expensive than the public schools that they had in Hong Kong. But they, my grandfather had his eyes on the prize way early on. And he was like, you know, communism isn't really going to be a place where you can thrive. And so he was already formulating this plan for his kids to immigrate over to Canada. And that was, that started way back when. So huge foresight on the part of my grandfather and for sending his oldest daughter to school, because my grandma was a little bit against that. She was like, she doesn't need more than, you know, a great aid education. Like, you know, she can start working early and young. And my grandpa was like, nope, if she has the talent for it, she's going to go to school. So my mom went to school. That's amazing, Josephine. I can see where you get it from. (laughs) The tenacity. I also grew up in a small town in Alberta, went to Catholic school, but very, very different. You and I are so similar and so different. (laughs) So many beautiful, but we've got lots of shared experiences. One of the stories that we shared with each other some time ago was the fact that we both did a, Dawn, you're going to love this. We did a poetry reading competition. Both Josephine and I did this. Like, I can't think of anything more nerdy to do. So dorky. (laughs) So dorky. When did you do that? Like grade six or seven. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
Okay, so you went to a competition. Okay, so I'm going to start with you, Jess. Did you win the competition? I think I came in second. Second. Oh, okay. Yeah. Josephine, yeah. did you win? Did you lose? Where did you come in? I did win. So I was competing in grade seven against, I think, kids up to grade nine. Oh, my gosh. I know. And my score was the highest among all of the first place winners. And so I actually won a $50 scholarship from the Grand Prairie Rotary, <laughs> which I was like, $50 in the 90s was a lot of money. So and I was so excited, so proud of it. And I remember my mom saying, remember to write them a thank you note. So I had to do that as well. Poetry contest. That's yeah, that's beyond me. <laughs> Do you think that that also is kind of how you landed in the profession of communications, which is where you currently work? <laughs> no, come on. Mom and dad wanted you to take over the restaurants. So here's the thing is that I actually have shown an interest and I love cooking. Like, I'm totally a foodie. But my parents were like, no, we did not immigrate all the way to frozen northern Alberta <laughs> so that you could run a restaurant like we did. No. And so it was, you were going to go to school, you will choose a professional path and you will go that way. That's awesome. Yeah. For my parents though, it was so funny because I mean, it's the stereotypical kind of Asian parent thing where it was like, you have two options. You could be a doctor or you could be a lawyer. <laughs> and if you're not smart enough to get into those, then fine, you can be an accountant. Really where my strengths were, were as just that, like really presenting, you know, talking in front of people. I ne don't get nervous about that. Being fairly verbose, as you can tell as I go through my story. <laughs> and I was always a writer. That was the big thing. I always journaled. I was always writing, creative writing, as well as even just like nonfiction stuff. I was kind of worked for the, the school paper and all that kind of stuff. So that's what actually led me to a career in journalism. So that's my background is I actually have my diploma in journalism. And so I worked at a community newspaper for, I think it was about five years. And then the internet was really kind of changing the way people were consuming news. And that's when I made that switch over into communications, worked for the government for many, many years in um, the public sector doing communications coordinator type of work until eventually kind of moved up the ranks. And then, um, yeah, into private sector for a short while. And now I'm at a post-secondary institution. Like journalism, so though, right? Like, is that even a thing now? What is true journalism? Everyone now? thinks that they are a journalist nowadays. Exactly, that's what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not even about investigating. There is still such an art to it. Like I, when you read pure journalism or somebody who has even just a writing background, there is something a little bit different about it, which is very very rare. Yeah, it's that storytelling is really what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Because true journalism is investigating, as we know. <laughs> Nowadays, doesn't matter what the source is, you got to get it out first. Who's the first? You don't even do any investigating anymore. It's like, just get it out. We don't care what happened. Just get it out. We were the first one to put it out. And then you miss all the stuff. One of my earliest jobs, I was trying to get out of, as I say, the newspaper industry. I was looking for kind of any opportunity that would jump out at me. And I had a um, interview at a local radio station. And uh, at the time, I was like, oh, you know, I'll just go and see. And, you know, maybe maybe this will work out. They needed somebody to do the morning news. I thought, perfect. I'm not a morning person, but I can be for the right amount of money. So, <laughs> you know, I go into this interview and I sit down with the program director and he sits me down in front of his big mahogany desk and he asks me a couple questions. And, you know, as as I'm talking, I'm noticing him really intently kind of looking at me. So finally... On the third question, I kind of stopped and I said, oh, am I, am I saying something wrong or do I have something like on my face? Like what's going on here? And he said, you know, I just, I was looking at your resume and I thought, 
that's just so weird that this girl just doesn't have an accent. <gasps> and so then I no. looked at him and I said, uh, well, you saw that I was born and raised in Grand Prairie though, right? And so he said, yeah, yeah, but it's just, it's just uncanny because you just have like not even a hint of an accent and your English is just perfect. Oh my And gosh. so I looked at him and I said, what kind of an accent were you expecting? <laughs> and then he answered and said, oh, well, you, you, you know, because, and so I just let him squirm and just played dumb. And then finally I said, oh, did you expect me to have kind of more of a northernly kind of accent? Because I grew up in Northern Alberta, like sort of more like a cowboy and kind of slightly hick-ish. And he was just getting more and more uncomfortable by the second. And so finally, after a couple more rather awkward moments, I finally just said, you know what? This isn't the job for me. And I got up and I left. Yeah. Good for you. I just could not believe. So these are the kind of things that you know, they have really kind of colored my experience in the communications world, being somebody who is a minority, a visible minority. Yeah. But again, having been born and raised and educated in Alberta. So it's just shocking that, you know, this this was also like in the early 2000s. It wasn't I was going to say, that's not even a childhood experience. That's something you experienced as an adult. That's right. Absolutely. And that's what's crazy about it. I was maybe, I think, probably 22 years old. And just couldn't believe this experience. And I went home and I was just so stunned. Gosh. And there was this this slight feeling too of shame that came with it too, which was just crazy because I thought I haven't done anything wrong. Like right. I'm I'm here because I'm qualified and I am, you know, well spoken and would have been great for this job. But I still felt this slight bit of shame just by that feeling of being othered. Yeah. And that's what he made me feel is he made me feel like I was othered. So do you think you then took that experience and did that shape how you approached jobs going forward? Yeah. And I think it really informed the way that I understood how I was perceived in the workplace. That was probably the first real time that I was like, you know what, even though I have a lot of white friends, I feel very Albertan culturally ethnically, I still present to the world as a Chinese woman. And when I traveled, that was the same experience I had as well, too. I went backpacking across Europe when I was 23 by myself. And it was this crazy experience. But again, people would either assume, first of all, I would speak and they'd be like, oh, you're from California, which, sorry, I'm a Valley girl. And <laughs> or they would think, oh, you're a student from Hong Kong. And it was like always like, no, you know, I'm actually neither of the things. I'm Canadian. Right. And then you get that look. You're from where? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, and then people will go, oh, well, you must be from Vancouver. Anyway, so it's just funny how that really informed, I think, kind of how I understood myself and how I present mm -hmm. to other people in these spaces. And it made me very aware that even though I feel one way, I can be perceived as another. It's interesting to me, too, how similar your stories are to other minorities. So it's stereotypical. I don't want to stereotype, but it's interesting because it does seem to be a theme, right? Definitely. And, you know, it was interesting because I didn't really meet anybody else like me until I moved to Edmonton. And then it was like, hey, there's this huge subculture of, you know, these Chinese Canadians who are just like me. And that was really when I think it was very formative, where I understood, like, this is how you can coexist as both a Chinese Canadian living in Alberta, but mm -hmm. also kind of, you know, no accepting who you are as a person and your 
your culture, where you came from, but also living in today's culture, the one in which you were raised. And it was like, it gave me this very different perspective because before I hadn't had a single Chinese friend up until the time that I was 18 years old. I did not know a single. Okay, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, and and the reason being too, like, it it wasn't that there was like in my graduating class, I think there was 350 students maybe. And um, we were the largest graduating class of, I guess, the whole high school. But of that group, there was myself, there was one other Chinese girl, there was one Chinese girl who was in the special ed program, and there was two Chinese boys. And none of us were friends. We were all had our own little separate groups. And so it was just, yeah, we all grew up kind of isolated from one another. And partly maybe it was because we didn't want to be linked to that stereotype right. of like, you know, Asians sticking together kind of yeah. thing. And so it wasn't until I was, as I say, a grown adult before I made my first Chinese Canadian friend. And it was this whole brand new experience to me. It was incredible. So do you have now any, because you're married mm-hmm. and do you have any cultural traditions, things that you have carried forward or because you maybe didn't have those friendships growing up, do you do not like do you not worry about those cultural traditions like how important is that to you now as an adult and married and with two f- beautiful fur babies <laughs> that's a good question so we still celebrate things like lunar new year for example or chinese new year as we used to call it so we do try to kind of keep that alive my husband is caucasian but he's very open to kind of learning about the reasons behind why we do certain things. So even when we got married, for example, we had talked about, are we going to do a tea ceremony? So a tea ceremony is when you pour traditional tea for your ancestors and it's a sign of respect to them. And also for, you know, the sacrifices they have made to help you get to where you are. And then in exchange for the tea, they give you a red envelope full of money. And so, you know, we talked about things like that, like, you know, would we want to incorporate some of that? And we talked about, about, you know, the background of that we've talked, talked lots too about how um why we still sing the Chinese birthday song at all of my nephew's birthday celebrations like it's like this there's this one song that I guess Cantonese people sing and my parents brought it from you know mainland China to to Alberta and we've kept this tradition alive apparently nobody does this anymore like nobody in actual Canton province or in Hong Kong does this anymore but we've just kind of kept it alive in our family because it just became tradition every birthday yeah. we would sing in English and then we would sing in Chinese and so we you know these things like that I think are important because my sisters have um and both married Caucasian men as well and so their kids are halfers and so yeah. for us it's important to still keep up that side of the Chinese tradition so that they understand and learn where they came from and also why we do the things we do as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. So when you get together as as a family, obviously your parents probably still speak Cantonese, I would assume. Yeah, my dad passed about 10 years ago. So it's just my mom and us now. But uh, so my mom and I still speak Cantonese. But holy, if you don't use it, you lose it. Because right. I was going to say when you get together. So your family still tries to speak Cantonese together. And how do the spouses deal with that when that happens? Like, do you guys say things about them when they're not listening? Like, do you do that kind of stuff? We do that more so to avoid, like when we're trying to talk about adult things and we don't want the kids to hear. So if we don't want the nephews and my niece to hear or something, then we'll switch to Cantonese. 
but generally not so much in front of our spouses. My mom's really good about switching to English when, you know, Todd's around or when my oh, brothers-in-law yeah. are around or even when <laughs> kids are around. So she, but she calls me, it's always in just Cantonese. Um, for a while there, my sisters and I were like, okay, we got to like practice our Cantonese. We got, we're, gonna, we're losing it. So we decided that we were going to speak just in Cantonese to each other. That lasted for like a day. And it was <laughs> so weird that we're like, no, we got to switch back. <laughs> one thing I will share with you guys as well, too, is one of the things we really appreciated about coming to the city was the fact that I could go to the Bay's makeup counter at the time and get a foundation that actually matched my skin tone. Because in Grand Prairie, right. as you can imagine, it was cover girl all the time in every drugstore and nothing ever looked right. Ever, 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 ever. And I remember as a young kid, we, I did ballet for many years. And of course, when you're on ballet, you need to, or you perform and you cake on the makeup to make yourself yeah. your Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember like my mom just stopped buying foundation because she was like, nothing matches. It all looks ridiculous. So we'd go on stage with just our bare faces um, and little lipstick and, you know, a little eyeliner. And I remember getting crap from some of the stage moms. Cause they'd be like, Oh, you don't have foundation again. And it was like, you know, I didn't have the words as an eight-year-old to tell her, yeah, yeah. but my mom can't drive me 450 kilometers one way to go pick up a $40 Shiseido, you know, beauty makeup foundation for me so that I can wear one time a year and <laughs> for this one recital. Like, I just didn't have the words for that now, but I would love to go back and be able to like, re-educate some of those parents and some of the people that we interacted with about like some of those challenges that you you have as somebody who is of color and living in a small town where that kind of stuff isn't really readily accessible that type of foundation on your skin tone and those bright lights they'd be like what's wrong with her she looks deathly ill yes absolutely that story is just it's very illuminating because obviously that could have been an issue for you you're standing in front of 1990 josephine Mm -hmm. You're looking at her in her eyes. What would you tell her knowing who you are now? I would probably tell her that the reflection of yourself against how other people see you is not who you actually are. You're in a very specific time and place right now, but there's so much of the world to explore and so much more to learn about who you are. You're more than what is reflected back at you. There's still so much of you to build and create in this lifetime. And it only gets better from here. Sometimes I think it hasn't changed that much in regards to how young men and women will perceive themselves mm. in today's society. We know there's so much cultural changes going on, but when they look at themselves in the mirror and you're only one of five Asians in a smaller community, which is probably still out there in some communities in Canada. That's a really good piece of advice. You're still the culmination of what your parents have instilled in you. You're still the yeah. culmination of the things that you are learning and will learn in your lifetime. You know, let's yeah. go back to 10-year-old Joe. Mm -hmm. What would be the one thing that you would change about yourself? I think I would stand up for myself a little more. There were, you know, a few incidences in our lives of racism. And I remember one very overt one. There was a field store downtown. And uh, it was one of the very few kind of stores where you can buy clothes and various items and things, right? I remember we were, my mom was checking, she had an armful of things that we were 
going to purchase. And she was kind of checking something out in um, near where the till was, but she was in line and she was waiting, you know, there's a small line in front of us. And then this lady just bought in front of us. And I thought, Oh, well, that's rude. And so then I kind of just pulled my mom's arm and I was like, Hey, this lady just bought in front of me. And this lady herself actually had a child with her too. I think it was a little girl and the little girl realized what had happened and said, mom, you know, I think these guys were behind us. And she turned around and looked and basically said, Oh, they probably don't even speak English anyways. They probably don't even know what's going on and turned back around and just kept standing there in the lineup. And, you know, like I would have, like, it was on the tip of my tongue. I could feel my face just burning with like hot rage. And, and again, that little bit of shame where she was othering us so much. And I went to go speak up and my mom just pulled me back and she said in Cantonese, don't, it's not worth it. And so I remember like so many instances like that, where my parents taught us, you know, just don't, don't ruffle any feathers, just leave it. You don't have to stand up for yourself all the time. And that was part of being this whole idea of a model minority. That's another stereotype that often comes up with Asians, right? Kind of quiet and meek. They'll take what, you know, we give them and they will like it and they will be quiet about it. And so I wish that I could go back and stand up for myself and stand up for my mom too, because you have a right to be treated with respect. There were some pretty powerful words that you talked about there today. And I think that's, uh, that's so important that people need to understand that sometimes skin color doesn't resonate who you are in a sense, right? And thank you for giving me this platform to share. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope to come on again. I've got all sorts of stories. Um, we, You are going to be a repeat guest, Madeira, because this was so much fun. Episode 305 will bring you back after you've climbed Mount Everest. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the requirement for the second guest. Wow, you get a real yeah. high bar here. Perfectly average people at gmail.com. Do you have a story to tell us that is just perfectly average? Come on the episode. We'll be more than happy to bring you on and let's talk about how perfectly average you are. Jess, episode number two is done. Woo-hoo. Amazing. Thanks again, Joe.